You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. And so we're going to look at this. We must surrender our will to Jesus to enter into this kingdom. Uh, we're going to look at Zacharias and, and Mary, and uh, excuse me, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and then Joseph and Mary uh, this morning. And then tonight we'll look at Herod. And we see that there's uh, very different ways of beholding this king. Uh, very different ways of how we respond. And our response makes a big difference. Um, I'm going to spill that if it stays there. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, we'll jump in. Uh, Luke chapter 1. You got your Bibles open? Yes. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Did we pray? Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we always stop in reverence to honor just how holy your word is. Lord, we realize that we cannot understand it apart from your spirit opening our eyes and giving us understanding, opening our ears and allowing us to hear, opening our hard heart and allowing us to receive. So, Lord, would you speak to us from your word this morning? We know, Lord, it is your desire. It is your will to do so. So we present ourselves to you and we open our hearts to you, Lord. And we ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Inasmuch as many have taken in hand... To set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. You might want to underline it. The things which have been fulfilled among us. What things? Well, there are 365 prophecies about Jesus' first coming that were fulfilled when Jesus became a man. Uh, And he says, I want to write to you about these things which have been fulfilled among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, we saw firsthand, and ministers of the word delivered to us. We saw it, we heard it, we understood, uh, and it seemed good to me also, having perfect understanding of all things from the first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Underline that, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Uh, Luke, a physician, uh, a doctor, uh, he is writing this account that he might put an orderly account that he might tell us and that we might know the certainty of these things in which we were instructed. We see here that uh, Luke, he writes to Theophilus, And we don't know, scholars don't know who Theophilus was. Many suspect he was the one that was, had hired Paul as a physician, probably his personal physician. And as Paul's ministry, you know, Paul's life got changed by Jesus, uh, that Theophilus maybe was the one who was sponsoring Paul in his ministry. Uh, uh, We don't know for sure. We do know that Theophilus is a Greek name that comes from two words. Uh, Theo, meaning God, where we get our word theology, the study of God. 
and phileo meaning love. So it's Theophilus, lover of God. So if you are a lover of God, this letter is written to you, most excellent Theophilus. And he writes that we might know the things, the certainty of the things that he writes about. I want you to know this. Jesus wants you to know the certainty of his plan of salvation. God foretold this plan of salvation from the beginning of time. And as I mentioned, there are 365 prophecies fulfilled in the birth and life of Jesus Christ. 365 things that were foretold centuries in advance by the prophets that Jesus fulfilled. Things like the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, Things like... uh, uh, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, Uh, and he shall be called Wonderful, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, right? Uh, Incredible prophecies, specific prophecies, even about his death that were so specific, uh, it's just mind-boggling. And God did all this because this plan of salvation was laid out from the beginning of time. And he wants you to know the certainty of his plan of salvation. Uh, This plan of salvation laid out in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sin and uh, God comes to them and he lets them know, uh, hey, you have sinned, you've fallen from me. And their, their life had changed radically. They were once clothed with the radiant glory of God, and now God's spirit departs from them, and they are naked, spiritually naked. And we talked last week how there was substitutionary atonement made for them, and God gives them an animal and clothes them with those animal skins, and he tells them then, your seed, Eve, will crush the head of the serpent that did this to you. And here the prophecies begin of this coming Messiah who will come into the world, this God who will become a man and uh, bring our salvation into fruition, into completion. All of them fulfilled, and I want you to know God's word is reliable. You can trust it. It is sure. It is tried. It is proven. If you are trying to build a house, and I want to use the word house as a metaphor of your life, you're trying to build a life, you're trying to build a house. Uh, Well, if you're a contractor, you know that takes a lot of measuring, right? Like you have to measure uh, uh, how things are done, and if the ground is level, and we have different tools for this. One of those tools we have is a tape measure, and you bring out a tape measure, and you go, well, hey, I need a a 28-inch board, and you're like... Well, how do I know if this is really 28 inches? Well, you get the tape measure out and you measure it and you find that, hey, uh, yeah, it's, it's accurate. It's right. It's trustworthy. And you can depend on it. I've used it a million times. I know for sure that's 28 inches. Maybe you have a map and it tells you and you've used it a hundred times to get to different places and And now you are going somewhere that you've never been before, but you've got that same map. You can trust it. Uh, You're building a house you've never built before, but you've got that tape measure. You can trust it. And God's plan of salvation has been laid out. He wants you to know the certainty of it, and you can trust it. It is reliable. Today, if you listen to this Christmas message from the Bible, you can know of certainty God's plan of salvation. 
And you can know of certainty that you can be saved from your sins and from spiritual death and from eternal judgment. And you can have your sins forgiven and you can be clothed in righteousness and you can bring the new year in living in fellowship with God. Uh, Life abundant, life meaningful, life eternal where you can walk with Jesus and he will lead, guide and direct you as you build your house. This is God's will. His plan of salvation is sure. And Luke writes here, he says, I want you to know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. Let's look at verse 5. There were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, by the way, the Bible, the most archaeologically accurate book, bar none, right? It names places and names of kings and rulers. And, and of course, we all know who Herod the Great was. Uh, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Uh, Here we see some things. He was of the division of Abijah, and she was of the daughters of Aaron. This would mean that they were both Levites, and the Levites were the priestly tribe, and their husband and wife. And it's very interesting, by the way, because Zacharias, his name means Jehovah remembers. And Elizabeth, her name means the oath of God. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And they were blameless. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. That's one of the reasons they had no children. And second reason, now they are both well advanced in years. I don't want to be too graphic here, but uh, those days have passed. Uh, uh, Elizabeth is now menopausal. Uh, Zacharias, uh, those days have passed, if you get what I mean. Uh, They're both, it says, not one of them, both well advanced in years. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, Verse 8, so it was... While he was serving as a priest before God, in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Uh, All priests were divided into 24 different divisions. And each division would serve for one week in the temple twice a year. So it just so happened that at this time, it was Zacharias's week to be serving in the temple as a priest. And it just so happens his assignment to serve in the temple was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Uh, The incense, by the way, inside the the temple, uh, there wasn't much inside the temple. And the things that were there were very significant. When you walked into the temple, there was the showbread on the side. Uh, That was a picture of the 12 tribes of Israel dwelling in fellowship in the house of God, right? Uh, Then you'd walk in, and on the left, right over here, was the lampstand, the menorah. It was the only light in the temple. There was no other. And it burned a special oil, and we don't have time to talk in that, but all significant. And it was the light, and that was the picture of Jesus. Uh, It was a lampstand on fire. That was the picture of Moses in the burning bush. Uh, Jesus would say, I am the branch, I am I, the vine, you are the branches, right? It's a picture of God with us, right? This 
And in there uh, was the lampstand and then this uh, altar of incense. And the incense represented what, Bible scholars? What? The prayers of the saints. And look at this design that God has. God dwelling with his people, Jesus in the temple, and the incense, the prayers uh, coming up before God in the, in the temple. And it happened to be Zacharias' ministry this week to tend to that, representing the prayers of the saints. Verse 12. And when, uh, I'm sorry, no, where are we? Uh, thank you. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. You can read Exodus chapter 30. It'll tell you there was a morning and evening prayer time. And the priest would go in in the morning and burn the incense. And the priest would go in in the evening and burn the incense. If you uh, like your devotional, Morning and Evening by uh, Oswald uh, uh, Chambers, uh, that's where this comes from, this morning and evening prayer. So uh, he's in there and he's doing that. And he's, he's burning uh, incense at the evening prayer. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I love this. There he is. He's just going through his you know, normal routine as a priest. And suddenly an angel appears. And notice where the angel appears, right where the prayers of the saints are. I love that. Beautiful picture. And when Zach, verse 12, when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear came upon him. Well, I guess so. I would, I would flip my taco, man. I would freak out. Can you imagine? Uh, and the angel said to him, do not be afraid. We're going to learn this angel is Gabriel. Uh, it's Gabriel standing there, and he's like trembling, right? And the angel says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he's just flipped out, right? Like there's Gabriel in all his radiant glory, because Gabriel, it's not his glory. It's the glory of God, because he dwells in the presence of God. And radiating from Gabriel, just like what radiated from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before they fell, was the Shekinah glory radiating out of Gabriel. And Zechariah says, trembles, right? Just trembles. He says, don't be afraid. Your prayers are heard. You're going to have a son, and his name is going to be John. It's going to be John the Baptist. And here's a question I would like you to ponder. Zacharias is now impotent. His wife is, those days have long gone. I wonder when the last time he prayed for a son was. I bet it had been a long, long time. And the angel comes and says, listen, John, don't be afraid. You're going to bear a son. His name will, uh, excuse me, his name will be John. Verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Yeah, amazing. We got a 60, 70-year-old woman having a kid. They're going to they're be unbelievable, right? And look at verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is his son, John. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Uh, the angel says, hey, listen, he's going to have a Nazarite vow upon him. No drink. Why? So that he might be filled with a better spirit. 
Not being led by alcohol, the spirit of this world, but being led by the Holy Spirit. He's going to be set apart to God from his youth so that he might be led by God's Spirit. A Nazarite vow was something that anybody could take in the Old Testament. It was a vow of dedication, of sanctification, of saying, Lord, I just want to set my life apart to you. Uh, uh, Pastor JC and I both have taken a Nazarite vow. We will, not eat, we will not allow alcohol to touch our lips. Not a glass of wine, not a drink of beer, not even a sip. Why? Because we want to be filled with a better spirit. Uh, and he says uh, he's going to be that way from his, his womb. Uh, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. In other words, he's going to be a prophet. And this was amazing because uh, the there were, were no prophets for 400 years since the book of Malachi. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, was the last old was the last prophet, and there haven't been any. Israel was wondering, is God ever going to speak to us again? Uh, Zacharias had been wondering, you know, praying, Lord, and now God says, Hey, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be a prophet. Uh, that's verse 16, verse 17. He will also go before him in the spirit. And power of Elijah. Uh, well, what does that mean? He will go before him. Circle the word him. Who's the him? That's Jesus. But contextually here, that him refers back to verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, the Lord their God, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Uh, that means that this Messiah is going to be the Lord their God. Wow, powerful. And he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a wild man. He was different. Uh, and we know John the Baptist, he was quirky too. If you're here today and you're just kind of, you're kind of quirky, you just don't fit in, uh, God made you that way on purpose. And he made John the Baptist this way. John was clothed in camel skin and, and uh, ate locusts and uh, probably didn't have a lot of friends in high school and went off in the wilderness. And right, he was, he was different. And God says, yeah, I'm going to use those gifts in him. He's going to be in the power of Elijah. And there's a lot of prophetic significance to why that is. We're not, don't have time to go into. But, um, uh, but anyway, he's going to go in the power of Elijah. And look at this. To turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. There is so much here in this. I want to unpack this with you. Look at this. Elijah is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What does that mean? Uh, well, part of it we'll look at, we'll go, that's going to mean he's going to make really good dads. He's going to make dads who really have a heart for their sons. Uh, well, that's beautiful, but that's not what it means. Uh, now, I hope that would happen, but that's not what this means. What does it mean? He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It means he's going to take the heart of the patriarchs. David was called a man after God's what? Own heart. And he's going to take the heart of David and give it to the children, the people that he's going to be ministering to. He's going to take Abraham, who had a heart for God, who was called a friend of God, and he's going to take the hearts of the patriarchs and give them to the children, to the people. What an amazing ministry. The second thing he says, uh, he's going to take the disobedient 
to the wisdom of the just. Wow. That is so pregnant with meaning, I can't even tell you. We were all that person. We were the disobedient, running amok, running after sin, sleeping with this person, drinking this, snorting that, doing this, doing that. And God took us in our disobedience and called him to ourself and brought us to the wisdom of the justified. Where we're no longer running amok, controlled by all our bodily appetites. But now he gives us wisdom and discernment that we might be fathers who build amazing children. That we might be mothers who build amazing daughters. That we might be people who have uh, a tremendous influence in the world because we walk with wisdom and discernment that comes from God. Because we know his heart. Because our hearts have been turned back to a heart of God. What an amazing ministry. And look at this. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for their Messiah to come. How incredible. Uh, the angel informed Zacharias, not only are you going to have a son, but your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And all the Old Testament prophets spoke about this Messiah. The entire book was written about him. Uh, Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. That's in Hebrews, uh, uh, quoting from Jesus. The entire Bible is about me, and all of it is, is foretold me. And, and there was also a forerunner that was foretold. That before this Messiah came, there would be a forerunner who would prepare the way for this Messiah to come and would get the bride ready for the bridegroom. And that is going to be John the Baptist, Gabriel says. You can read Isaiah 40, not now, but uh, later. You can read Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, it's a prophecy about John the Baptist uh, coming as the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, I, uh, Malachi chapter 3 is also another verse. I have it on the screens for you. Um, here's a prophecy about this forerunner that's going to come, this forerunner of the Messiah. Let me hear you read this with me. Behold, I send my messenger, and he, that's John the baptizer, will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple. He is the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. And behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. Powerful. Uh, I'm going to send my messenger, God says, and he's going to prepare the way before, before who? Before me, God says, which tells us again that the Messiah will be God himself. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come. What's interesting is John was this forerunner. And he tells Zacharias here, hey, you're going to have a son named John. He's going to be John the Baptist. This is what he's going to do. He's going to be tell people about Jesus. He's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. They're going to, they're going to, have, they're going to understand the heart of God. They're going to turn from all their sin. They're going, to be, they're going to get their lives and walk in wisdom. And he's going to prepare them as a bride for the bridegroom. And John the Baptist, what, what's so amazing about this to me is John the Baptist was that forerunner. And you know what? John had no idea who the Messiah was. He knew this calling was on his life. His dad told him about the, what Gabriel has said. 
God gifted him accordingly. He went out and started preaching in the wilderness and people started coming. Uh, God brought all the fruit, all the pieces together, but John had no idea who the Messiah is. Crazy that the forerunner of the Messiah would have no idea who the Messiah was. But can I tell you something? Behold your king. This is how he works. You just be faithful with what I've given you. You obey one step at a time. And at the right time, I'll reveal it to you. You'll know when it happens. And I'm sure John prayed many times. Lord, how do I know who the Messiah? I'm telling everybody he's coming. Who is he? And so John will be preaching. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he was preaching powerful messages inspired by the Holy Spirit so that people's lives could be turned and the heart of the patriarchs, could, they could have that heart. And they would repent from their foolishness to the wisdom of the just. That they'd be a people that were preparing themselves for this Messiah that was coming to be the bride. And they would ask John, was he, is he here yet? And John would say, I don't know. Well, is he one of the religious leaders in Jerusalem? I don't know. Well, aren't you the, the forerunner? Aren't you a prophet? Yeah. Well, who is he? I don't know. Crazy. And John was preaching one day, just like we're doing right now. And in the middle of John's message, he stops his PowerPoint, he throws everything away, and he says... Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the one that I've been telling you about, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Here he is. And all of you need to quit following me and start following him. He's the one I told you about. Oh, how amazing. At a time when he had no idea. God did his work, and the Messiah comes. God is so faithful. I want you to know, there were 365 prophecies about Jesus' first coming. He fulfilled them all in exquisite detail. There are even more about his second coming. And can I tell you something? He will fulfill all of them with exquisite detail. And I, like John the Baptist, want to be preaching on the day he comes, telling everybody about, hey, this amazing Jesus, and stop my message right in the middle to say, guys, it's time, and poof, we are caught up together with the Lord. I want you to know his coming is at hand. It is even at the doors. John had no idea the day or the hour, and there he was. And so it is with us today. May we be ready. And I don't know about you, but when he comes, I want to be found telling others about his greatness, walking in his truths, worshiping him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. For there is no higher purpose of life than to be an instrument in his hands. Zacharias means Jehovah remembers Elizabeth means the oath of God. You put them together and Jehovah remembers the oath of God. The oath of God, that God would send a Messiah into the world to save us of our sin and to redeem us and to restore us into fellowship with God again. 
A promise made in the Garden of Eden, a promise made to every generation, a promise made all through history, through all the prophets. And here God says, Jehovah remembers the oath of God. Uh, God always keeps his promises and we can hold them confidently. You can hold on tight to the promises of God. Which is why Luke would say, I want you to know of certainty, his plan of salvation, because you can hold on tight to the promises of God. I want you to consider how sovereign God must be to align so many variables to bring Zacharias and Elizabeth together. And I wonder if they even ever noticed the two of them together that, hey, my name means Jehovah remembers and your name means the oath of God. I doubt they even noticed But God was doing something powerful. And together, God sovereignly worked. Imagine Zacharias, a young boy, Elizabeth, a young girl. And think of all the variables God had to orchestrate to make this boy with this name like this girl with this name. But he made her with all the cute little features that he liked. And he made him with all the little talents and abilities that she liked. And somehow there was this attraction. And God orchestrated all kinds of things to make him be in one spot where she was in the same room at some certain time. So the two of them could come together. And none of them knew that God was doing all of this. Consider how sovereign God must be to bring all of this to path. To align so many variables. Uh, I want you to know, when Jesus is the Lord of our life, we can rest confidently in God's sovereignty. Knowing that every step we take is orchestrated by God. I am in awe as I look back on my life. I didn't see it at the time, but oh Lord, you have been so faithful. I'm watching my kids now be parents, and I always knew I'd love being a, a granddad, but what I didn't know is how much I would love watching my kids be dads. I love watching my kids be dads. And I see in my sons them doing things that I did with them when they were little. And it just fills my heart with joy. I'm watching them and they're they're, they're really good dads and I'm just, I'm so proud of them. And, And I was thinking back of all the things I did for them when they were little that they knew nothing about. Going and getting a puppy and hiding it here and and all the myriads saving for their education and all the myriads of things that moms and dads do. How much more God who loves us? How many things is he orchestrating in your life that you have no idea what he is doing? Imagine God's sovereignty. He brings them together. Zacharias, Jehovah remembers. Elizabeth, the oath of God. You're going to be the forerunner, bring the forerunner of the Messiah. I have big plans for your life. It tells us in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God. They were both righteous before God. I want you to know that does not mean sinless. They were not sinless before God. Uh, As a matter of fact, they sinned, and they sinned a lot. We, for some reason, have this bogus tendency to make the people in the Bible super saints. 
Uh, we see this in art. When we show art of the saints, they always have a halo around them, right? Uh, and we like to make saints. I want you to know, uh, it says here, they were both righteous before God, but that doesn't mean they were sinless. They sinned, and they sinned a lot. How then were they righteous before God? How were they made righteous before God? Well, they were made righteous before God the same way all people are made righteous before God. Zacharias and Elizabeth were not righteous before God by performance. They were righteous before God by faith. By faith. And this is true for every person in the Bible. And this is true for every believer today. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Abraham performed well and God accounted it to him for righteousness. No, it doesn't say that. Genesis teaches, Romans repeats, Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Zacharias and Elizabeth were sinners just like anybody else. But they believe God, and God accounted it to them for righteousness. And that is the same, true, same truth for us. Salvation has always been a gift from God by faith and not performance from the beginning of time. It's not a New Testament teaching. It was a God doesn't change. He taught the same thing in the Old Testament, uh, and it's always been by faith. And just to drive that home, here's a verse for you in Romans 3. Uh, read it with me, church, if you will. Now the righteousness of God... Apart from the law, or in other words, apart from performance, uh, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. I like that. Uh, the righteousness of God, to all and on all who believe. And notice what it says. This righteousness is God's righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. And it comes to us apart from the law. And this was revealed and told by all the law and all the prophets. They always told us this from the very beginning. That righteousness is never by keeping the commandments. It's always by faith. Because you'll never be able to keep all the commandments. Uh, let's go on. The rest of the verse. For there is no difference. For all have sinned. Have sinned is what, what tense? Past tense. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, the, the translation misses a little bit here. Fall short in the Greek is in the present tense. It'd be better translated, all have sinned and all are presently falling short of the glory of God. And are being justified freely by his grace. Uh, being justified freely what, what, by his grace. What tense is that? Present tense. So presently, you and I are falling short of the glory of God. And presently, you and I are what? Being justified freely by his grace. Behold your king. Aren't you glad? And that is through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Uh, so we have always been saved by faith. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were not righteous by performance, but by their faith in God. And here's something that's interesting. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were righteous in the eyes of God. They were solid believers, but they were barren. 
couldn't have kids. Their whole life, they wanted kids. Their whole life, they prayed for kids. Their whole life, they, they loved God and were serving God and were faithful and he's a priest and he's got a big ministry and, and she's uh, a priest's wife and she's got a ministry and, and they're serving the Lord, but they're still barren. What the heck? I want you to know uh, there are false churches teaching a false gospel that say, uh, if you are in Jesus, you can just name it and claim it. And whatever you say in faith, God will do it. Not true. A lie from the pit of hell designed to derail your faith and separate you from the true and living God. Zacharias and Elizabeth were believers their whole life dedicated to God. They prayed continually for a child and it never came to them. I want you to know Christianity is not a life free of problems like some false churches teach. Christianity is not a life free of problems. Christianity is a life victorious over problems. Big difference. Big difference. Look at the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth. They really wanted kids. They prayed over and over. They never had kids. And you know what? God never told them why. Never once gave them an explanation. All those years they were praying. All those years she went to bed with big tears on her pillow. Uh, all those years, God never said, hey, it's okay. Here's what I'm doing. I read the book of Job, and one of the things that just baffles me is Job goes through, he's a believer, he's a solid walk, he's got a good, you know, a good understanding of who God is, he walks with God. And God allows all this calamity to happen upon him. I mean, horrid things. And God has the audacity to never speak a word to him about any of it. Why not just say, Job, hang in there. I'm doing something. I got you in this. No, silence. Why? Because Christianity is not a life free of problems. It's a life victorious over our problems. God is using Zacharias and Elizabeth. He's doing something. He's building them into amazing people. Look at this. They wanted kids. They didn't get them, but they're not depressed. They're thriving in life. They're happy. They're serving others. They are happily married. They have lots of friends that we're going to see in just a moment. They love God. They are full of joy. Uh, they have learned who God is. They walk with him. They know him. And as a result... They are substantial individuals. They are pillars in their community, even though they have problems. And people today are so easily offended, so easily injured. It is unbelievable. They cannot handle any adversity. They are like delicate snowflakes, man. You touch them the wrong way and they just melt. It's incredible. 
When they don't get the special treatment they want, they just fall apart and call HR and say, I need time off work. I wasn't addressed properly. I wasn't talked to the right way. I didn't like this. What a miserable way to go through life. And what a pathetic existence. You can't handle anything. You fall apart when the smallest thing doesn't go your way. Are you kidding me? I want you to know, make Jesus the Lord of your life and God will build you into something substantial, something significant. Look at Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are leaders, man, and they are thriving. And Christianity does not mean a life free of problems. It means a life victorious over all the problems that come your way because God will build you into something significant. And I don't know about you, but that's the man I want to be. That's the woman I want my wife to be. And that's who I want my kids to be. God is able to do more in your life than you could ever imagine, but you have to let him do it his way. He is building you. I think of Ephesians 3.20 that says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or hope. Exceedingly, abundantly, incredible superlatives that God chose to use to get us to understand that. God wants to do amazing things in our life. I want you to know something. Take note. We have a small vision for our life. But God has a big vision for our life. Take a look. Let's unpack this. Look at verse 18. Zacharias said to this angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. You understand what he's saying there, right? Uh, How in the world is this going to happen? And my wife is well advanced in years. How in the heck? And the angel answered and said to him, and I would love to know the tenor of these words. I would have loved to hear the voice inflection. Uh, I bet it sounded something like this. Uh, Dude's not in there, but it probably should have been. (laughs) How will this happen? The angel said to him, dude, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you to bring you these glad tidings of God's grace upon your life. Do you see this radiant glory that is shining from me? It's not mine, it's God's. And he sent me to you, the creator of the universe who spoke the world into existence. He sent me to you to say, you're going to have a child. And you're asking, how could these things be? Here's how they can be. Because you have a small vision for how things work. And God has a way bigger vision for your life than you do, Zacharias. Just amazing. Look at this. But behold, you shall be you will be mute and will not be able to speak until the day of these these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Your unbelief isn't going to hinder what I'm doing in your life, God says. I'm still going to do this. And the people waited for Zacharias and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. It was a prayer service. Normally prayer service gets out quick. He's been in there a long time, man. Verse 22. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. 
And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. They could tell something had happened. I mean, he he looked different. And he beckoned them and remained speechless. Yeah, he couldn't speak. He was now mute by uh, his unbelief. And uh, and now the charades begin. You know, he's like an angel. You know, uh, Elizabeth. You know? And he start the whole starts telling the whole thing, right? Verse twenty three. So as soon as it was that the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. I love this. Uh, his, he sees an, his Gabriel speaks to him, tells him you're going to bring the forerunner of the Messiah. And he doesn't say, well, I can't serve in Sunday school today. I got to go home and do this. He finishes his seven days in the temple, and then he goes home to his wife. Look at verse 24. Now, after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. Uh, amazing. And she hid herself five months old. Uh, excuse me. She hid herself for five months, saying, uh, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away the reproach among my people. Uh, oh, he's looked at me so generously, God has, and he's taken away the reproach. And she hides herself for, for five months. Why? Because she's 70 years old. She's all, she's a, she's a raisin and she's pregnant. Too much. (laughs) Crazy. What a story, man. Uh, Look what God is doing. We have a small vision for our life. God has a big vision in our life. He said, I don't understand. Think about this. Imagine the buzz that was in this town of Israel. Imagine the buzz. Zacharias and Elizabeth were well-known priests, man. He was a well-known priest. And they're over 60 years old. And now they are the talk of the town. Social media is blowing up. Hey, did you see? I heard Elizabeth. I know. She's so old. I can't believe it. And did you hear? They say, I don't know if it's true, but he says, Gabriel. I know. And they said he's going to conceive and have a child. I know. And he says this this child's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. I know. Well, what do you think? Do you think the Messiah is really coming? Do you think the Messiah is really near? I mean, the forerunner of the Messiah, could it be? And now all of town is just blowing up. I want you to know, look what is happening. Zacharias, and why why did you have to endure hardship for so many years? Why did you have to go through all these things? Here's why. Because God wanted to bring glory through their lives to God. You exist to bring glory to God. And God will often work in your, your life in ways that you don't understand. And you have to let him be your king. And look at how much glory Zacharias and Elizabeth's life are bringing to God. Look how big the things that God is doing in their lives. I want you to know, God wants to give your life more meaning and purpose than you could ever imagine. God is using their lives to bring people to Jesus in ways they could never even imagine. And that's all to the glory of God. And I am sure that Zacharias and Elizabeth had been praying for a long time for two things in their life. Number one, a child. 
And they prayed for that for decades and decades and decades. And she cried and he was brokenhearted. And the second thing they prayed for is that God would use their life in ministry. Lord, help us to be able to bring people to you, to know the greatness of who you are, Lord. I pray for you all the time. Oh, Lord, that would you please feed your people today? Use me to feed your people because I know how hard life is. I know the difficulties that we all face. And Lord, your word gives light, it illuminates our path, it gives us hope, it gives us wisdom, it gives us discernment to handle. Lord, please feed your people today. And I prayed for you that this morning even, as I do every Sunday morning. And I know Zacharias and Elizabeth have been praying this a long time. And now the angel comes and says, Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. And I know you quit praying for a kid a long time ago, but God still heard your prayers and God is still answering your prayers. And your life is going to bring people closer to God than you ever knew. You have no idea how big your ministry is going to be through what I'm going to do through you. And here's what I want us to see. Put your faith in King Jesus and he will give your life more meaning and more purpose than you could ever imagine. This is what he does in our lives. But in order for this to happen, we have to submit our will to his. He has to be the king of our life. For years, Zacharias and Elizabeth did not receive what they wanted, but they still loved and obeyed God. God didn't give them a child, and they didn't pout, and they, say, they didn't say, well, I'm not going to believe in God. No, they still served, and they still learned who God is, and they still walked with God, and they still served other people. Many people leave God the moment that he does not meet their needs, their wants, I should say. Well, I went to church, I prayed, but God didn't give me the child that I wanted. God didn't give me the spouse that I wanted. God didn't give me the job I wanted. I even tithed one time, and God didn't bless me. Then they walk away from God because they didn't get what they wanted. You know what they are? They're like gold diggers, only coming to God for what they can get. God has no interest in that kind of relationship. We must surrender our will to King Jesus. Behold your king. This is how he works. There cannot be two. There can only be one. Zacharias, Elizabeth, serve me. It's not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. But I'm going to make your life way more than you ever could. For you have a small vision for your life. I have a big vision for your life. When we give Jesus our life, Jesus gives us life and life abundant. A life overflowing with joy and purpose. And Zacharias and Elizabeth are experiencing this. And so have I. And so have you. And so have millions of others of the faith. But we have to let him be the king. There cannot be two. Behold your king. Joseph and Mary will now face the same dilemma surrounding their lives that Zacharias and Elizabeth did. Jesus is going to come in and totally mess up all of their plans because his plan is different than our plans. They're young and they're in love. They're planning a wedding. It's only weeks away. They're dreaming about their wedding night. 
And God will come in and radically change their plans. She's got her colors picked out. She's got her bridesmaids picked out. She's got all this stuff picked out. And God is going to come in and say, yeah, none of that's happening. Behold your king. There cannot be two. Does your life belong to Jesus? Or does your long life belong to yourself? Let's look at the story of them. Well, I'll try to do it quick. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump in. Uh, verse 26. Are you tracking with me? Yes. Now in the sixth month, that sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You can find that from verse 24 and verse 20, uh, 36. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pre- pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Uh, Gabriel's busy. Uh, Nazareth was about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, and he sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Their wedding's only just a short time away. They're planning. Uh, He was of the house of David, super important. That's the lineage. Uh, And the virgin's name was Mary. And she was full sprint planning a wedding. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Wow. What an honor. What a privilege. You have found favor with God. Can I tell you something? So have you. Jesus came to this world for you. You're here today because God has called you by name. God's grace and mercy is upon you. He's instructed me to feed you because he cares about you and the things that he wants to do in your life because his plans are bigger than yours and he's trying to knock your plans out of the way so he can bring his plans into your life. You are highly favored before God. Behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear for, bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus is Greek. The Hebrew would be Yoshia or Joshua, Uh, And it is Yahweh is salvation. God with us. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. The son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's going to have a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. David had been dead uh, since 970 BC. David is long gone, right? Uh, But he's saying uh, the throne of David is going to be restored through him. Verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's the house of Israel forever. You might want to circle forever. The throne of David will be forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Look at the things that he said. He's the son of God. He's going to rule and reign on the throne of God, on the throne of David. It will be forever. It will be eternal, just uh, an eternal kingdom. And then Mary said to the Lord, to the angel, excuse me, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Hey, listen, I'm a virgin. 
I've never been with a man. How could this be? How am I going to conceive? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest, the power of God, will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. In order for Jesus to be the kinsman redeemer that we talked about last week, the, the, the substitutionary atonement that we talked last week, he had to be virgin born so he wasn't contaminated with sin. He is the second Adam, as we talked about last week. And if you don't know what that means, I encourage you, I invite you, go back and study last week's message. He needed to be the second Adam. We inherited sin from the first Adam. The first Adam was not made by man. It was made by God. The second Adam, not made by man, made by God, right? Uh, both man and God. Uh, uh, anyway, that's all I can do for time's sake. Verse 36. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And I want you to really focus in on verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I love that verse. Behold, I'm a maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. May that be our answer. Uh, I have a, an assistant in the church. Uh, her name is Jordan. And I, I, I love working with her. Because every time I ask for anything, you know what she always says? You bet. Absolutely. I'll send her a text. Hey, I was thinking about doing this, this, and this. Do you think we could pull that off? You bet. I would love to do that. And I love it because so often you ask and you're like, oh, well, I don't know. We tried that before and it didn't work. I don't know if we can do that. You need, X, you need X amount of widgets and X amount of that to make that happen. I don't think we... And how refreshing it is when Mary... It must be... How refreshing to the Lord it must be when Mary says, I am your servant. Yes and amen. What you say, I will do. And she walks it out. Just amazing. Verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. And she hurried. Man, I got to go get Elizabeth. I got to hear what's happening with him. Uh, I got to hear what this... You know, Gabriel said, look, I spoke to, your, to Elizabeth, and uh, she goes there to learn more. Um, and she entered in the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, and we'll stop here for time's sake. And we know the babe leapt and all those things, and amazing, right? But uh, let's, <clears throat> let's wrap up with a few things. Maybe you hear all this, and you say, man, I'm skeptical. I have a lot of questions. How could this be? It seems far-fetched, man. I don't understand. A virgin conceiving, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, uh, he's impotent, she's menopausal, she can, how can this be? I don't understand. Can I tell you something? Welcome to the club. God works in ways that are far beyond our understanding. That's exactly what Joseph and Mary was thinking. That's exactly what Zacharias and Elizabeth were thinking. But it all came into pass. And notice what it says, verse 29, it says, Mary was troubled. You might want to underline that word troubled. In the Greek, it means greatly perplexed. I mean, she was just like having a really difficult time with this. And then the word considered, she considered what manner of greeting this was. That word considered means to, to audit or to analyze or to really 
try to understand. Or in other words, Mary brought her intellect to the table. Mary brought her thinking mind to the table. Highly favored one, she says. I'm just a regular girl. Conceive? I've never been with a man. And she brings her mind to the table. If you've been at the mission church very long, you know that there is a phrase that I cannot stand. It is called blind faith. Nowhere in the Bible does God ever ask you to have blind faith. God gave you an incredible mind with an incredible ability, an incredible capacity, because he wants you to know him intellectually. He wants you to understand him and to love him with your heart. He wants both. And Mary brings her brains to the table. I want you to know God's plan of salvation is brilliantly laid out. And it's been laid out from the beginning of time. And you can study God's plan of salvation like you would science. Like you would a DNA strand. Study it close. Get the microscope out. Look at the double helix. Learn the vocabulary. Learn the letters of that double helix. Learn how it's put together. Study its structure. Learn its air-correcting ways, how that double helix fixes itself and does all these things. And you will go, oh my gosh, there is a creator behind this. Study the laws of physics. Look at all the complexities of the universe and how everything has laws that are so intricately and perfectly put together and you will go, oh my goodness, there is a creator. And study God's plan of salvation. Bring your brains to the table. Look at all the prophecies that were foretold centuries in advance and watch them all come to play in the person of Jesus Christ and you will go, Oh my gosh, there is a creator. Mary brings her mind to the table. She brings her, th- her, her, her head to the game and she's transformed. But notice it's a process. Notice that Mary doesn't just immediately accept this message. Instead, she says, I don't understand. How can this be? She asks questions. And she starts auditing and analyzing the angel's words in light of all her Bible knowledge about God. And no doubt, the Holy Spirit reminds her, oh yeah, Isaiah 7.14, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. And no doubt she remembers Isaiah 9.6, oh, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Father, the Prince of Peace. No doubt she remembers uh, Isaiah 9-2. Uh, uh, light has come into the darkness. And, and she's understanding and all her Bible knowledge is coming together. And she, she's thinking. And she believes. God is not against a mind that wants to understand the things of God. But God is against a closed mind and a closed heart. Uh, Look at this quote from Tim Keller. Uh, Read this with me, if you will. There is a kind of doubt that is a sign of a closed mind. And there is a kind of doubt that is a sign of an open mind. Some doubt seeks answers. And some doubt is merely a self-defense 
against the possibilities of answers. Very interesting. I want you to drink that in for a moment. Let's go on, the rest of it. There are people like Mary who are open to truth and willing to relinquish sovereignty over their lives if they can be shown that the truth is other than what they thought. And there are those like Zacharias who use doubts as a way of staying in control of their lives and keeping their minds closed. Wow. Wow. Believing the Christmas story means there is a God that we must submit to. A God who deeply cares for you. A God who became a man to die on the cross for our wretched sin. A God who comes to you like he did Mary and says, highly favored one, highly favored one, I want to use your life to bring others to Jesus. And like Mary, we have to take all that to heart and say, do I want to participate in this or not? Because it means my wedding plans are going to be canceled. And it means all the flowers I've already purchased are not going to be used. And it means that all the colors that I had are not going to be done. And it means that I know this town. And if I'm an unpregnant woman, I mean an unmarried woman who's pregnant in this town, uh, I know what that means. The ridicule that's going to come. And I know that I'm not going to get all the things that I thought. And, and it's going to be different. Behold your king. How will you answer? There cannot be two kings. Mary responds willingly in surrender to God. Here I am, Lord. I will do it your way. And God gives uh, their, her life so much meaning as a, joy, as, as a result. Uh, and they live significant lives. Um, we're out of time. But I want you to ponder these things. I want to give you an opportunity to willingly surrender your life to Jesus right now. Some people love control so much that they refuse to submit their lives to God. And they use unbelief as an excuse to stay in control of their life. They keep their mind closed to God, uh, to his great profound plans that he has, because they want to be in control of their own lives. All they can see is a small vision for their life, and they cannot see the big vision that God has from them. They're spiritually blind. They don't say yes to the plan of God. Tonight in Behold Your King, part two, we're going to look at Herod, who had the same opportunity to be used powerfully in God's plan of salvation coming to this world. But he wouldn't let go of control. How about you? Where are you at? I'm thinking of the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. If you look at that verse in context, it is saying this God is speaking, God is showing. God is trying to reach, but your eye won't see it. Your ear won't hear it. Neither will you allow it to enter into your heart all the things which God has prepared for you.
Joseph and Mary had their own plans. This is what I want. This is all I want. This is why I'm going a little wedding. This is why I have a little wedding. I want to have a honeymoon. I want my own little life. God says, I got way bigger plans for you than that. Will you let go of control? Many people who are atheists stay atheists just because they don't want to submit to the true and living God. Will you submit to the true and living God? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.